Project A Podcast. Welcome to a new episode of the Project A Podcast. My name is Tamer and I'm CPO at Project A Ventures. For those who don't know Project A, at its core, we are a VC. But unlike many other VCs, we are actually able to work together with our ventures. And by we, I mean me and my 100 colleagues from the fields of marketing, tech, product, design, communication, data, and so on. This approach gives us deep insights into the operations of these companies, learnings we want to share with you. In this episode, we'll talk about communication and the way it happens within the company. We'll talk about the problems companies face when they are growing fast and when they need to harmonize business and tech. We'll discuss which part product management takes in that game. And we'll show some ideas on how to design the communication so it becomes a tool of growth. And for this, I would like to welcome my guest, Fausto Maglia. Fausto is CPO at Casavo, and Casavo is one of the fastest growing companies in Italy, based in Milan, in the real estate market. Hello, Fausto. Hello, Tamer. Nice to be here. All right. My introduction to Casavo has been very brief. Can you tell us more about your company to give our audience some context? Sure. So, yeah, I am Fausto, and uh, I work at Casabo, that is a prop tech scale-up based in Italy, in Milan, and operating in uh, several cities across Italy and in Spain as well. The business model that we have introduced to the market is that of the instant buyer in the real estate space. So essentially, we buy houses very, very fast, relying on technology. We renovate these properties and we put them back on the market. I am now chief product officer at Casavo after a particular path, I would say, since I joined the company when there were other three people working here and now we are almost 200. So this has not always been my role at the company. Great. So what's actually your personal background and how did you become the CPO of Casavo? I came back to Italy after an experience in London uh, where I worked as product manager and I also was a product manager before that experience uh, in another startup in Italy. And when I came back, I reached out to Giorgio Tinacci, Casavo's founder and CEO, because I was looking for interesting opportunities in the Italian ecosystem. And he told me, hey, look, actually, I just created a company, a startup. So I remember I took this train from Tuscany, where is my hometown, and I went to Milan to meet Giorgio, and he actually actually pitched me the company, and it was great. You know, I am a big fan of Clayton Christensen and his books, The Innovator's Dilemma and The Innovator's Solution, and I thought that Casavo was, at least what Giorgio was pitching me, was exactly what real innovation looks like as it should be, as it is on, on paper, right? So I said, this is amazing. Uh, I was a product guy, but he told me he had no need for someone in product back in the days because the company was still in the, in the phase of validating the, the business model. So he actually needed someone in marketing. I had experience in marketing. I, I had, uh, had done marketing uh, in one of the companies I previously worked for, and I also studied marketing. So I said, 
okay, this is a new challenge, but I really like the business model. And what, what Giorgio is, is telling me is, looks amazing. So let's do it. And, and that's how I ended up being head of marketing Casabo for a couple of years before uh, the company really started investing in technology. And that's when I changed the role. And I, uh, and, you know, since the beginning of 2020, I have been the chief product officer here at Casabo. Which kind of role does technology play for Casavo? So was it always clear for you that this company will become a tech company and not a real estate company? It has always been clear. I mean, we had to do two things, essentially. The first one was to prove that there was uh, the opportunity in the market for an instant buyer, right? So that we could uh, actually create value for the customers and make money out of these transactions we were executing. But we have always been fully aware of the fact that we had to scale through technology. And that was the only way to create a, a valuable company. And so, yes, and, and I would say that, you know, you, you cannot deny your nature. If you are a product person and, and if you love technology, you are going to put it everywhere in everything you do. And, and that's why I would say that Some of the things that I did together with my team when we, uh, when I was in marketing were already the, the foundations of the product organization. And also probably some choices that we made that were based on technology are valuable for the company nowadays. For example, the fact that say performance marketing, it, it has always been something that we wanted to build inside the company, right? And I think that this is really a, The decision that I would take as a product person of not outsourcing key key um, skills for the company because we want to, to keep growing on that side. Uh, so yes, it, it has always been clear to the company, to me as well. I actually didn't know that I was going to be the person in charge of product in the company. So Kazava was founded in October 2017, and in that time, the company grew from three to 108 people. I mean, this is definitely a tremendous growth path. And what I'm interested in is how the communication has changed over the years. I mean, it must have changed dramatically, right? What you said is, is totally true, that the way we communicate has changed massively. And, and I can also see that... <laughs> Well, we constantly grow, right? So it's like a movie and we don't have different pictures of the company. So we don't switch from one scenario to the other. We keep evolving. Sometimes, this has happened uh, a lot of times already, actually. I can see that we sometimes reach a point where the old methods, the old, you know, just say some recurring meetings that we have, they are not useful anymore. At a certain point and i can see that because we reach a point when that specific uh, meeting or recurring meeting or event or whatever it was th that was really helpful at the beginning doesn't uh, doesn't help anymore and is actually a burden for all, all of the people involved so uh, yes i definitely think that my role involves dealing with communication also because if a company needs a, a 
a chief product officer, it, it means two things essentially to me. The first one is that there is a technological product at the core of the business. The second one is that the company already has, or it wants to have, a scale that calls for more than a single product manager. And here, there is a, 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 a scenario that, that opens in front of us because this means that there are, or, or there will be many developers inside the organization and that we have other departments that need to interact with the product and tech side of the business, right? So if this is true, there will be many people desiring information about the product and who need to share opportunities for, for new development or maybe problems that they are facing and they want the product to solve these problems for them. And moreover, if you have multiple teams of developers at work, you must make sure that they are always on the same page, they know the strategy, and they know where to go, because otherwise you will have divergent teams and, and, and divergent products, right? So in the end, it, it's all about communication, if you want. And uh, I think that the CPO should think about three things, mainly. The corporate strategy and, and the vision that reflects into product strategy and vision his or her managerial work and of course communication which reflects in organizational design all right so i would like to zoom out a little bit on your current situation so kazavo's digital product is a complementary product to the core of the business and what i mean by that one is that there is the instant buyer model that you've described that could potentially run without a big tech organization and now you're putting digital natives into the company that need to collaborate with the rest of the organization. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So this must lead to some conflicts and some very interesting questions. So number one is how does the communication work within the tech organization? I mean, this is probably the easier part. And number two is how does the communication work across the different teams? Yeah, I mean, th that's totally right. That's our reality, right? So we are, in fact, what, what people call a prop tech company. And we, we were born in this wave of fat startups that have a lot of connections with the real world. In the end, when I described the, the, the business model, uh, I referred to, to the fact that we, we renovate properties, right? And that's a very real thing when you have to uh, renovate a property, uh, a real estate asset. And so, yes, on one side, I would say there is an easy answer to, to this topic that, that you raised. And, and then there is the more unknown side of, of the thing. Uh, so let's start from the, from the, from the known one, uh, if you agree. Um, and that's the product and tech organization. So how do we communicate there? I strongly believe in the power of fractal organizations that, I mean, have a lot of references in the, in the environment nowadays. So essentially, we are using uh, the, the less or large scale scrum approach, trying to adapt it to our reality. And we have several teams of cross-functional professionals 
engineers, designers, product people, business experts when needed. And they are organized in business areas or tribes. We actually name them after Spotify's uh, Spotify model. And there, there is a product owner for each of these tribes or business areas uh, with a single backlog that they consume, right? And I have to say that it is working very, very well. Uh, we can feel like we can keep growing now by mitosis. So not actually by adding people, but by splitting groups, okay? And, and slightly uh, adding up uh, new resources to, to these groups because this ensures that the culture is the same, the methodologies are the same, the technology is the same, uh, the alignment on the strategy is the same uh, for everyone. And, and, and we are comfortable with it. And uh, so this is the product and, and, and tech side. And then there is the, uh, the other one. Can, can I ask a short question to that? Yeah. So, so you mentioned now that you've built up an organization where you can, let's say, scale horizontally, where you mm -hmm. can add more and more people um, without the need of changing the way you communicate in a, let's say, dramatical way. Is, is that true? So you're feeling that you like, after this kind of growth phase, you're reaching a steady state in the way of how you design and collaborate. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. I mean, the framework is always the same. We are still fine-tuning it. Uh, I think that we will be where the CTO and I design uh, the organization. We will be there in, in six to nine months from now, but uh, we will get there uh, this year. And yes, the framework is always the same. You, you just add things. Uh, on the framework. What were your core principles that you needed to add in order to come to this kind of level? I mean, like I know many other companies, um, especially in that growth phase, where it seems like an endless change in the way of communication before you actually get it into some, let's say, um, repeatable and efficient way. Is there something where you can say, okay, this is the reason why it actually works, why it is that adding more people to the team will not block other people out again? This is an amazing question, Tamer. No, no one asked, asked, asked me this question before, but I think this is really amazing because it digs into the, the why we are doing it and, and probably it goes beyond the... the organizational design exercise and into the, the values of the company probably. But let me try to list the three things that I think were needed to reach this stage and that we will still need in the months to come in order to, to reach that vision. So the first one is trust. If our CEO and the other members of the management team didn't trust the CTO and me on this, we would have never been able to do it. And this is an important part because neither our CTO or myself had gone through an hypergrowth phase with a company before Casabo. We had ideas in mind. I talked a lot to you, actually, also. I tried to, to get a lot of inputs from, from the uh, all the people uh, I knew and, and, and Francesco, the CTO, did the same. And 
and we were confident that this was the best solution uh, and and we actually sold it to, to our colleagues and i would say this is the the first point the second one is patience when you start doing this you lose efficiency at the beginning you are not as efficient as you were before right and and this is an important part because if you're able to invest in this kind of uh, organization, you are going to see a lot of return on the investment and we are already seeing it, uh, but I'm confident that we will really see it in one year from now. It's not easy when you are a startup burning money, actually losing money to tell the CFO and the CEO that you need time, right? I mean, that's not what, what they want to hear and, and the same goes actually with probably the investors, although they are probably very rational and they know how things go uh, with startups, startups have a limited lifetime, right? If they don't get it right. And you also need to find the right balance. Of course, you, you cannot keep investing for, for two years without getting anything back. The third thing is decentralization. So what I see is that the more we want to deploy this organization, the more what is centralized represents a bottleneck for the company. And our role as managers here is to remove the bottlenecks as soon as we can. And the only way we can do that is through decentralization. But hold on, because this means that really everything must be decentralized. And I want to go far enough to speak about budget, okay? So should we have a single budget for the product and, and tech side or should we decentralize it within the tribes or business areas or, or squads? And I, I was uh, discussing this with, with our CTO this, this very morning and, and, and we were talking about the fact that you need to decentralize, but somehow you also need to have a, a centralized you know, overview of everything, just because, just to make an example, if someone wants to buy a tool because they need to solve the problem and they need the tool, you have to make sure that that specific tool has not already been acquired by someone else and that you have an economy of scale in that sense. And this is just an example. All right. So what you're saying is that when you are using the principle of decentralization, you need to find a common ground. So everyone in that company works in the same direction. And you're using this one by, for example, goals and setting purposes and principles and so on and so forth. So the idea here is that the amount of communication and alignment is not growing as fast as the amount of people you add to the company, right? All right, cool. So you said, just like to sum it up quickly, that trust, patient, and decentralization are your core principles and probably also like um, helpful for many other companies as well. And now let's focus on the second question and probably the harder one. So, I mean, working within a team you are in charge of is different to when you're working with, let's say, other teams. And I think it might be even harder because you need to establish the right principles, which are not that easy to establish. Yeah, you and I have been discussing this a lot. So, and every time we, we do it, we discover new uh, nuances of it. And yes, the point is that, as you said, 
We originally were a company buying how that, that bought houses. So we had that on one side. We, we needed a deep knowledge of the real estate market, of all the players that are inside of it. And, you know, especially in Italy, it is a very traditional market. On the other side, we had the finance part, which is key in a company like Casavo, because you need a lot of money to grow, to buy houses. I mean, uh, houses are expensive, so you need a, a lot of debt uh, to, to, to buy them. So there, we had this kind of... This kind of company that was very similar to uh, a, a real estate investment company. And as you said, we added this tech part that started growing massively. And how do you make these two souls of the company communicate? It gave me a lot of headaches. It still does sometimes. And what a term that we found, and with we, I mean, you and I, for this, is, uh, is this. On one side, you have the tech nerds, because we know that the tech people are, uh, are usually nerds. But on the other side, I discovered that we just have a, a different kind of nerds, and these are the business guys. The business nerds. Yeah, exactly. The business nerds. And, 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 and in the end, they are both very, very passionate about what they do. They want to do it right, and, but they speak a different language. So it's very hard for them to, to communicate. And they keep thinking that the other part is somewhat, I don't want to say dumb, but kind of it, and that they do not understand how to make the company successful. But actually, they are cooperating to make, to make success successful. Can you name us a couple of examples that brought you the headaches <clears throat> that you were talking about, where you said, oh my God, I mean, like, you know, product managers are, is a profession of uh, communication translating between different worlds. So you probably have an emphasis for both sides uh, from time to time. Yeah. More for the other one than the other. But um, do, do you have some examples in mind where you said, like, this was a situation where you said, oh, oh my God, this is a problem that I need to fix? Business people, I mean, the, the, te the teachings they receive, in my opinion, are based on the 80s way of building a company where it was mainly manufacturing, mm -hmm. right? So it's production, not creation of a product, which is different. So in, in their mind, the way you grow is by adding people, right? Because if I add someone that has to carry out a, a simple task, I can add as many as I want. I give them one day of training and they are ready to go. On the other side, when you are actually creating a product as it happens today, this is not the case because, I mean, if you are designing a new chair, you can maybe have two people doing that and exchanging ideas. But if you put 10 people to design a chair, it will be a mess because everyone will have their own ideas and you need time, right, to... to put everyone on the same page and make sure that you can keep designing great chairs. And so I can clearly remember our, my colleagues uh, in the C-level team, especially pushing hard to grow, adding new people, hiring uh, new engineers and so on, uh, because they wanted to grow and be successful. On the other side, we had our engineers <laughs> that answered, uh, that replied, well, 
we too want to be successful. And that's why the best thing we can do is not hiring anyone for the next six months. And so you, you have two, two different kinds of nerds, both very passionate, both very knowledgeable in their field, both willing to make the company successful with totally different mindset. And, and you know, it was not easy to, to make them uh, understand the other point of view. So this is just the first example that comes to my mind. That's a very good one. And I think it's underlying the way of how people interact, even on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, if I take one or two examples from my, my experience, one of the evergreens is the way you deal, for example, with estimations, right? The business side needs to have an idea of how much effort, time, whatever it costs to build something in order to plan out the project well, in order to allocate the budget and so on and so further. While the other side, let's say the, the, the tech side would say, how can I estimate when I, it's not even clear what to build in any, any way, right? And this is like where two sides come to against each other talking about the same, let's say, word, which is called estimation. And I believe that the word estimation in this kind of terms is not precise enough. Right, because I think there's two types of estimations, but this is something where people are constantly clashing against each other, while the one team is asking for, let's say, more details, and the other team is asking for 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 speed to get an answer, right? And I know many companies that are like struggling with this very very basics, but still having issues in this kind of communication. <laughs> this is one, of course, like one of my favorites. It's <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very real. It's 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 painfully real, actually, <laughs> uh, and and it's right because I, I mean the kind of exchange that I have in my mind is this: business person asks, "When will it be ready?" Exactly. Tech person answering, "When will be ready?" What? <laughs> <laughs> and and that's and that's the 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 the, the point, right? The, the problem behind this lays on the fact that, I mean, at least for us, uh, I, I can see that this is changing because business people are slowly, in my opinion, but probably very, very fast, actually, accepting that it is the technological product that is starting to drive the business. So, so again, if we go back to what we were saying about our business, we started with actually going out, speaking to real estate brokers, seeing, entering houses and making offers, right? Then you go to the notary and, 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 and do the rest. Now this is changing. For example, probably we, uh, my colleagues don't even physically see 70% of the houses we buy until we have bought it because they have the, 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 the mobile app for their remote visit, right? So, so th this, is clearly, this is clearly changing. And I can see that slowly my, my, more, uh, my colleagues that are more on the business side are, are seeing that it is the tech product that is leading the way. And so they don't, don't look at it like they need something from the engineers 
And we are slowly making them accept that we should have priorities and that they should push us to review the priorities if they want, because maybe what we are working, what we are going to work uh, in the next sprint is not the most impactful element for the business. And when it is ready, they have new opportunities. So we have, we are changing the way we see problems and we now consider them opportunities. Every time someone comes and says, I have this problem and wait, this is already a huge success because usually at the beginning they were like, I need this. Then they started saying, I have a problem. And now we are changing this and speaking of opportunities, we are telling, okay, you don't have a problem. You have an opportunity to make the business more successful. Given the fact that this is an opportunity, I have many other opportunities and I am going to prioritize it this way. And this priority is, uh, is this one. Mm -hmm. How did you actually go about it to make these kind of like, let's say, uh, multiple perspective um, going towards each other than to be separated from each other? Like were, were there some kind of like approaches you've taken in order to let them talk and discuss in a better way? I think we had and we still have to work a lot on expectations management. So this happened to me as well. I used to be very annoyed by stakeholders continuously asking, when will it be ready? Uh, where are we at? What's the next thing you're going to work on? And, and so on. And then I accepted that it is just part of my work. And if I find the right way to explain and communicate, they are not going to, you know, frantically and ask th these kind of questions. So the first point is proactively communicate what you're working on, what you're going to work on next, and why you're going to do that. And then the second thing is to build and communicate a clear strategy for your product that matches the company's overall strategy. So if essentially you say, okay, we have this vision as a company and this is the strategy to get there. This is the way we translate it on the product side. This is the vision, of, I, and I will make an example. Take the fact that we have to scale the business and buy a lot of houses, renovate a lot of, a lot of them and, and put them back uh, on the market. The product vision here is to essentially have a tool that is able to immediate, immediately tell my colleagues if a, a, a real estate asset is a good investment or not. Okay, so that they don't have to, to spend a lot of time trying to understand uh, the economics behind it, the area, the price per square meter, and so on, because everything is done automatically. And how do we reach this stage is, is the important part that we have to communicate. We are going to do this first because this enables that, and next we will do this other thing. And I see that once we have done this, everyone was way more relaxed and uh, way more aligned because they were confident that we had a clear vision of how to support the company and the other departments and that we were all going in the same direction. So I, I think the key is the communication, the, the proactiveness in communication. And again, Tamar, we go back to communication again. To rephrase it a little bit. So what you're saying is that the way in order to 
make the people work and communicate in a better way was to, let's say, bring them on the same page by not talking about the, let's say, I need this feature X, Y, Z, right? But rather, what's going to be the goal of the company and what are we trying to solve here as a problem? And let the people talk about this kind of topic and then being very proactive and open to communicate um, like how this is going to be solved um, and transferring this one to the others. So people also get this kind of um, trust level that you mentioned within the team communication, right? To say like, okay, these people on the other side, they just like don't fight you. They just like understood exactly what you're doing and they're just like trying to solve it. But with the trust level of decentralized work that they will probably know what they're doing rather than saying, I need to, to to coordinate this one on a micromanagement level, for example, in order to make it work. Is, is that correct, how I rephrase it? Or It is totally correct. And I can also provide a couple of pragmatic examples so that who is listening, you know, goes home with, with something uh, that, that they can, that is actionable. A very important thing that I saw is that tech people needed to speak business-ish more fluently. And how you did we do that? And I mean, it's simple, but actually I can say that at a certain point, it, it has been hard for, for us as well, because we were so focused on delivery that we forgot the fact that engineers must speak to the customer. And this is a very important part. And, and, and I mean, if someone that is listening doesn't do this or, or, or doesn't do this very frequently, let me tell them that they will see the magic happening after they speak, after engineers speak to the, to the customers. And, and this can, can be done very easily, just one hour of, of, of Q&A and, and this is done. This, this can be the first step. Because again, the tech nerds must learn business issues. On the other side, I have also seen that if we take our, again, business nerds, and we teach them to read the backlog. And if the backlog is intelligible for them, if they can really read it and, and the backlog is organized in a way that they can see the opportunities that are prioritized there, rather than you know very technical tasks or user stories that are broke down to the smallest thing, they can get a sense of what are the priorities of the development team. And that's a tool for discussion, right? Because then as a product manager, if you have issues with prioritization because someone is challenging you, you can put the stakeholders around the table and say, look, I have been challenged with the priorities. Why don't we discuss them together? And they will discuss the way things are prioritized. And actually you can just sit there, relax and, and, uh, and listen to that. I, I can totally say that in, in, in many situations that I saw in companies, this was eye-opening. And I think what you're saying here, and I think this is extremely smart to not try only to explain how the other side works, but rather let them feel how it's how it is to be in that specific situation, because we are all smart people. We are all aligned on the goals. And I mean, you probably know that one. You've been a developer in the past, right? So you know how hard it can be to write a piece of code and you don't know how to actually solve that one and you're wasting three, four hours to just like find a specific bug while well, it can take you five minutes to solve that, right? And the other way around as well, right? So if you are 
uh, on the business side and you need to get, you know, like some things going, sometimes you need to make this kind of 80-20 thing to go further and you can't focus on any edge cases because they are just like not the the right things to do in that moment, right? So, um, so I think this is a very, very smart tip to, you know, like let them be part of the other's world without getting to a point where you actually need, and probably this is also not doable, to let them speak this kind of language, right? Because, I mean, every department and every, let's say, profession develops its own, let's say, lingo in order to express things quite fast, right? So um, if I'm talking to a developer and talking about EBITDA, he probably will not know what it actually means. Um, and the other way around, if I talk about like uh, AWS deployments, uh, the business side might also not be exactly sure what he's really talking about, right? Yeah. So, um, and, and I think it's going to be um, not doable for both sides to really learn all these kind of terms and languages. Um, but to some degree, of course, explaining that one and rather um, bring them into the game <laughs> rather than trying to separate them more on this kind of side. Yes, and I think that that's the very important role of the product people. Right. I don't think they have to be translators, but I think that they can make sure that everyone is going in the same direction and that all the parts involved trust the others. Right. Because I, I mean, I, I have seen this probably. I, I cannot expect that the average engineer is fully able to develop a product strategy and, and tell them to the stakeholders. But a product owner should be able to do that and, and should be able to make sure that when the engineer and the stakeholder are at the coffee machine and speak about the challenges of the company, they are speaking exactly of the same things, just from different angles. And, and they should be able to feel it and, and, and feel that they are part of the same project and they are pushing hard to, to reach the same vision. I think what you mentioned is quite interesting and probably also very edgy to many product people when you say that the product managers should not take full responsibility on the translation. Is there something that that you learned over time? Because when I learned product management, it was, you know, like product managers' job is to translate between different, let's say, departments and stakeholders. How, how do you actually see this one in this kind of terms? Because I think you still probably do that, right? So if a product manager talks to a marketing person, he probably talks differently than when he's talking to a, let's say, a customer service agent or to a developer or a CEO. Yes, yes, of course. I, I, I learned a lot. And I would say, especially during the last, during the last two years here at Kazabo, Yes, I saw myself as a translator. I also saw myself a bit like, you know, maybe the the, the CEO of the product that that is a you know a term that is sometimes used to to talk about product managers. What what I saw later is that if you see yourself as a translator, you are not actually bringing value to to the company. Actually. It might be the best way to derail it, and I'm—I uh, mean, this is a, a bold, uh, a bold sentence. But if you're if you are really not creating what's the most valuable thing for 
the end user, whoever the, the end user is, uh, you are probably derailing the company in some ways because you're wasting the money that is being invested in the development of technological solutions. And also what I used to do and uh, what I still see in, in some of the guys that are working with us is that they, the second phase after the, the translator phase probably is the done step into my garden phase. Okay. So I, as a product manager, will decide what must be developed because I really know, and that's true, what's best for the company, but I won't take the burden of communicating it very well to, to everyone. The third step is when you let go of your ego and you accept that a lot of your time should be spent explaining things and reassuring and making sure uh, that everyone is on, is on the same page and reassuring the stakeholders that things are, are going as expected. So I, I, I don't know if this makes sense. It, it totally makes sense. And I think there's so much truth to this. Um, so we, um, a couple of while ago, asked a lot of product managers um, about what they'd like to do, what they would like to spend less time on, for example. And the top answer was stakeholder management, right? Because I see that many people are actually trying to fulfill this role of a communicator and doing it in a very well way. While this means also for the product people to A, spend a lot of time on this one and B, spending a lot of energy on this topic. And in, in many situations, it's just like better to, let's say, shape and open up communication channels between people rather than try to play a communicator in kind of ways. And I think there's sometimes way more, let's say, subtle ways on how to make sure that people are still aligning and nothing goes like say bypassed or whatever right um by for example um you know uh taking a developer into a usability test or uh taking uh a marketeer let's say maybe into a refinement meeting where they will uncover that it's not only just a simple button to add here but there's a huge set of complexity that needs to be solved and needs to be thought of which will probably also um, make both sides so so much more aware of these kind of things. And I think this is like where um, I agree, but I think this can be very hard to, to implement for product people is to rather create this playground or this common ground where people can, can meet and talk to each other rather than try to prevent them and channel everything through this kind of like product person that many product managers are actually doing. And I see that, that many product managers who are going in that way are just like gaining a lot of power that they can use for um, uh, for the right things instead of just like trying to um, handle stakeholders or whoever they are talking to, let's say, as children, <laughs> which, which sometimes often happens, right? So they're just like, yeah, I need to be careful with that guy or whatever. In yeah. Instead of just like explaining hardly, okay, this is how it is, and this is like the uh, the situation, right? <laughs> I, I I totally agree. And first of all, if people recognize that they have to deal with expectations management, this is already a good thing because they acknowledge that that's part of their job, right? The fact that it has a name is already a, a big success. Then when the product manager moves from the reaction to 
expectations to a real management, a proactive management, I think that there, there is the space for a lot of good collaboration and for great strategy, great alignment, great solutions delivered to the market. And it's a path that we are actually working uh, right now, but it has, it has a very good smell, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful to see, yeah. Definitely. I mean, like the success of your company definitely uh, puts you on the right side with that approach. It's very great to see that companies, even on that kind of growth stage, still are able to to set the pace for the next future development and not started to get slower in this kind of approach. So this uh, might be a good, uh, let's say, indicator uh, why this approach really takes off. Cool. Fausto, thank you very much. Let me just like quickly try to recap what we've discussed and please add with it if I uh, missed one or two of the core aspects in here. So you mentioned that communication should be built on trust, patience, and the level of decentralization. So the amount of communication between the people are reduced. In order to still bring the people on the same page, you're going to work on let's say, an underlying layer that brings everyone into the same directions by, for example, using a proper strategy, a good vision, principles, guidelines that help you more or less that these different teams are not just like breaking breaking apart. We also learned qu quite well that the way to make sure that two different worlds are communicating better to each other are um, being done by letting them feel and experience the other side in, in, a, in a better way, even if it sounds a little bit counterproductive or a waste of time if someone's spending some hours in a meeting where he is probably not creating this, like you mentioned the word manufacturing kind of like output, but rather still still learns from that side. And yeah, last, last but not least, and I think this is more directed to the product people, um, the advice of taking themselves more and more out of this translator role and moving them more into a facilitator role where they are trying to build the right environments for the right people to talk to each other rather than to have the feeling that I'm losing the edge or the control if I'm letting this one go. Is that correct or something more to add from your side that I... You, you nailed it. I, I would add that uh, the only thing is that probably without the ability to you know to, to to speak to you and the fact that you exchange amount of inputs and suggestions and things that you saw in other companies that are part of the project A's portfolio or, or, or that you worked for in the past it would have been much harder for us to reach uh, the stage and to have this level of clarity which I am sure will last for a very brief time uh, and we will you know uh, when we keep growing by keep by growing you face new challenges every day every week and so i'm sure that there will be space for new doubts quite soon <laughs> thank you very much i'm very honored thank you everybody it was a great pleasure and i hope you enjoyed this uh, session as well please Contact us on LinkedIn, 
Twitter or whatever platform you, you like. I think we are easy to find uh, in the web. So we're happy to, to get your feedback on the session. Thank you very much. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks, guys.